speaker has been recorded at an online meeting of Addictive Eaters Anonymous. You can email us at contact at aeainfo.org. And um, it's lovely to be at the meeting. Um, thank you for asking me to share. And um, I've just picked a short um, couple of, um, or just a bit of a reading out of um, the AA Big Book um, on page 51. And um, it says, um, almost everyone knows the reason. Oh, students of ancient history tell us that the intellect of men in those days was equal to the best of today. Yet in ancient times, material progress was painfully slow. The spirit of modern scientific inquiry, research and invention was almost unknown. In the realm of the material, men's minds were fretted by superstition, tradition and all sorts of fixed ideas. And then down further it says, we asked ourselves this, are not some of us just as biased and unreasonable about the realm of the spirit as were the ancients about the realm of the material. And then just over the page it says, when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. I read that the other day with a member because I'd already asked God to help me find something in the big book to, to read and then to share about. And, um, and that just jumped out at me because that, you know, before I came to Addictive Eaters Anonymous, I had such a closed mind and I believed everything that my family believed. So I didn't have any ideas of my own, um, but I don't think I had much of a choice because I've, I can always remember being an addictive eater and I didn't have, I don't, I didn't have the words back then to describe my life, but my life was a mess. Um, I just remember as a child, um, I was always scared. I, I was just terrified. I, even in the playground, I couldn't play with others. I always sort of sat back and watched what people were doing and how, what the kids were doing and, and how they played. And I found it very difficult to mix in because I had, I had very, very strange ideas about all sorts of things. And, and so I just basically tried to control and, and manipulate everything in my life and every, every person around my life. I just really identify with the, um, with the big book where it talks about the director. I, you know, I was, I'm the eldest of seven, so I took it upon myself to look after my six brothers and sisters, and I did everything that I could to look after them, and whenever we went on holidays, I was always watching them and looking after them, so I never actually got out and did anything, and it wasn't until I got into my teens that when I went from primary school to high school, that's when the disease really kicked up another notch in my thinking about, um, and I look at it as being the self and self-centeredness and the boys came into it. But I went to school in a little school in a small country town. And so 
we were the only Catholic school around. And so all the, everybody from the Gold Coast, um, the beach side came to our school. And I just saw a difference in us and them. So I had to be like them. I, you know, I was, I was not good enough. And I'm not talking much about my food because food was always, food was always part of my life. It just is. And anything I did was always re revolved around food. I was very active. So my weight wasn't really a problem, but the food was very important to me. But once I got into high school, that's when I noticed the weight. So the disease had sort of kicked up from being the food, just eating. And then it's now it's gone into the weight as well. So I started doing the crazy starving diets and, you know, piece of fruit for lunch. And, and that's when the watching got worse because I would just watch what all the other girls did and tried to behave like them. And, and you know, <laughs> I remember I, I don't know what I did for breakfast, but I'd go to school and eat an apple or an orange because that's what they did. And then I would go home and eat huge amounts of food because I was starving hungry. And so that's when the hiding the food really started. I would um, hide the food in, in um, pockets or, or just grab the food really quickly and take it into my bedroom and then try and eat really slowly and quietly. And, and so that, that just set up the whole hiding and sneaking food, which wasn't a problem before then. And as, as I went through school and then I remember leaving school and going to the gym because that's sort of how it's, how that was the next pro, you know, progressive sort of disease obsession for me. And um, so I started going to the gym and that just drove, that just drove the disease even deeper because I would compare myself to all the other girls there and I just couldn't, I just couldn't do what they did. And so someone, I'd lost a lot of weight. I was, I was overweight and I'd lost a lot of weight. And so I went out one night and somebody asked me, did I throw up to keep my weight down? And I was horrified. Oh, I wanted, you know, I was horrified because I'd worked so hard going to the gym all the time, just going to the gym. But in the back of my mind, I thought, what a great way to cheat. What a, you know, and so I tried it. And so that's when the torture, and I'll say torture because that's what it was. At the start, it was a bit of fun. You know, I could just come home from work, eat as much as I could, throw up, put on the short skirt or the jeans and go out to the club and just party on, do whatever I wanted to do. And I was only about 17 then because I started drinking and partying under age. I was 16 when I first started that. But that bulimia, that just, that was horror. It, it just, it, um, it overtook my life. And I started, I started to eat and throw up, you know, sometimes several times a day. And it was just, it was horrendous and torture. So the lying, the, you know, the lying, the sneaking, the stealing, you know, I was 
my dad taught me how to steal when I was young. And um, he, the job that he did, he could take us to work. And so the areas where he worked, we could take things. He, he, he delivered linen to, to um, motels and hotels. And so whatever was in the lost property, we would just take if we wanted it. And he showed me how to steal. And so I was stealing food. I'd always done that and had gone through terrible bouts of shame and guilt and I was terrified of being caught so then I had to get sneaky so the sneakiness really kicked in when I was bulimic just sneaking around because I eventually got married and um, yeah my wedding dress nearly didn't fit me the um I'd had my final trial to put it on and I think I was getting married in about three weeks or something from that final fitting and brought the, I was, it was a higher dress, so I brought the wedding dress home. And when the bridesmaids went to put it on me, they said it won't do up. And um, so they eventually got it done up. But my, my, wedding, my wedding day was marred with this visualisation of me walking down the aisle and the back of my dress just bursting open and so the shame and the guilt, even on my wedding day. So I found it difficult to even remember back and look at the good things about my wedding because it was very difficult. And, um, and after the wedding, I put on so much weight and I didn't hang any photos on the wall of our wedding. And I didn't find out till later on that my husband thought, that I hated him, that I was embarrassed and ashamed of him because I had no photos on the wall. And that was really sad. And that was the first time that I actually realised that this disease and the self-obsession was affecting my family. I didn't realise that. I just thought it was all about me. But he believed, yeah, that was really sad because I was able to tell him that no, wasn't him it was me I was so ashamed of the weight that I'd put on since we got married that I didn't want to put up the photos on the wall so um, yeah so recognizing how the disease affects other people in my life took a long time and um, so life just went on and it was miserable I was either fat or thin or somewhere in between you know that mental obsession about losing weight was was just all I could ever think of and everything revolved around the food everything revolved around the weight and the exercise and the bulimia as well so um it wasn't until I I'd always worked full-time jobs from sort of you know seven till five or something in the morning and I swap I changed jobs and started working in a motel a couple of days a week and that's when I actually saw an ad on tv about a clinic for, um, for eating, for, you know, for, for, for eating disorders. And um, so I rang them up and asked them about what were they, what it was about. And they said that you had to stay in for three months, a living program, and it was going to cost, I don't know, a couple of thousand dollars. And, and I, you know, I couldn't do that. I was working, I had a family, I had children, but they gave me a, a, a community centre's phone number that had 12-step programs for um for overeating 
And um, so that's when I first got introduced to the 12-step programs because prior to that, all my life was about um, trying to control my, my food and my weight. And that was when I was introduced to a spiritual program. And I'd never really worried about that. I'd never been interested in church or spirituality at all. I knew that there was something wrong with my thinking because I first started going to a counsellor for my thinking um, when I was 18. I'd gone to a dietitian, of course, you know, to try and get a diet to lose weight. And I put a bracelet on lay-by because in six weeks' time, I would pay that bracelet off and reward myself for losing weight. And after that six weeks, six weeks was up, I'd actually put on weight. And so I cancelled the lay-by and I told the dietitian what I had done. And she said, I think you need to see a counsellor. So that was when I first started going to counselling way back when I was 18. And so I went to, I went to that counsellor for seven years to try and work out what was wrong with me because I knew there was something wrong with my thinking. Anyway, that didn't help. But once I got into the 12-step program, that's when I started to look at like a spiritual way of life. And even though I was still eating and I hadn't really surrendered, um, which I didn't really know what that was, it gave me the opportunity to look at the 12 steps and start and just start realising that I had a disease and no one had ever said that before either. And these, these people at this community centre and who were in the 12-step program were really kind and caring people. And I went to that program for many, many years, but I never actually got well. I just didn't get well. So then when it came time to try and get well, because my mind was... My thinking was so insane. I was doing retreats and they were seven day silent retreats. And um, I just, I would go to those because my life was so unmanageable and my relationships with my husband and my children were so bad. I just needed some help. And so going to these retreats, I thought was going to save me, was going to fix me. So I went to seven. In all those years, I went to seven retreats because I thought that I was going to, I thought that I'd miss something in the first one, the second one, the third one. So I just kept going and going and going. And nothing was working. Absolutely nothing was working. And I was still going to 12-step programs for, the, um, for, the, um, for overeating. And that's when I heard a lady share. She would come over from New Zealand and she would come to these meetings for one, two or three weeks, depending how long she stayed in my local area. And she would come to these meetings. And I didn't like what she said. I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with her. And, um, and so it was after, after this seventh retreat, it was a beautiful day. It was in October for me here beautiful morning I just spent seven days praying praying and meditating and walking on the beach and it was just you know if you were going to be spiritual you think you'd get spiritual there but nothing worked absolutely nothing worked 
and I was still as mad as a cut snake. So I walked out of that retreat and there was probably about 30 or 40 of us and they were all hugging and laughing and smiling and, and I didn't want anything to do with these people. And I knew, I knew that nothing was going to work, absolutely nothing. And so that's when I said my first real prayer to, to God and, um, you know, I just said, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I give up. I surrender, you know, I know I just said, I can't do this anymore. If you want me to get well, you need to get me. And, and I mentioned this lady by name because I can't do this anymore. My life, you know, I have a horrible life. I can't do this anymore. That's it. I'm done. And um, so for the next four months, and I never had never read the big book, but I started to read the big book when I got my, when that sponsor walked into this meeting for, um, for overeating. And um, I'd gone to the barn to die. I was not going to control my weight through exercise, through diet. I was just going to eat myself to death, whether it be sooner or later. That's what I was going to do. I, I'd completely given up control. And um, this lady walked into the meeting. And in my mind, I said to myself, you either ask for help or you don't. And if you don't, you never complain about your weight again. That's it. You have two choices. You either ask for help or no. And um, I remember I remember that day so vividly when I saw her walk into the meeting room. She sat down opposite me. And there was only there was only probably four of us in that meeting at that on that day. And I remember sharing that the only time I felt normal was when I did the washing and hung it on the clothesline because that's what normal people did. But the rest of the time I would come inside and I would be a crazy woman. And when I went outside to the world, I pretended. It was just a pretend. I would watch, I still, I've still watched people. How do you do this? How do you do this? You know, how do you drive? How do you walk down the street? How do you go shopping? How do you look like a normal person? Because I didn't know what to, I didn't know how to do that. And, um, but after the meeting, and, and for those five years prior to this, I'd never spoken to this lady, and she'd never spoken to me. Why would you? you know, I, I wasn't interested in anything she had. But when she left that day, she came across the, the room and she put a hand on my shoulder and she said, if you want to have a chat or you want to talk about recovery or something, I can't remember exactly what she said. She said, I'm staying at such and such a motel. And I couldn't remember what she said, but that week I prayed every day that she would come to our next meeting and I didn't know if she would or not. But whilst that week was going on, and I, I say the disease today, but I didn't know what it was back then. But in my mind, it was, don't go near that woman. She will tell you to leave your husband, your children, your company, you know, your your, your your, lot, your country, you know, everything. You, you'll have to leave and go back to New Zealand and live with her for months and months and months so that you can get well. And I was terrified of that. But I still prayed that she would come and that I could ask for help. And, and that sounds really weird when I sort of say it out loud and think about it, but that's, I was desperate. I was desperate to, to, to help because my life, I'd, you know, contemplated suicide many times, 
um, yeah, and that just reminds me. The own, I loved it. I loved being in hospital when I had my babies, and I wanted to go in, go insane and be put into an institution so I didn't have to make any choices. For my other fantasy was to drive into a telegraph pole, go into a coma, and then one day wake up out of that coma and be well, have this disease gone. So that's that's how insane my thinking was, had got to. Um, so that lady did come into the meeting next the following week, and. I was so grateful that she came and I spoke to her that day and I said, the only reason I didn't ring you this week was because I couldn't remember what you said. So she wrote down where she was and she, I asked her um, when could I ring her and she said, ring me tomorrow. And so I rang her the next day and she was over here on holidays and she 12-stepped me. You know, she took time out of her day to 12-step me. And she went into, um, we went into the, like a small garden out uh, downstairs and she talked about her, her story and what she did. And she read, she read something out of the big book and I've never been able to find it since. But the, it was like the penny dropped. Okay, this is the solution. This is it. This is, this is, this is the answer. And I'll say insanity because I didn't know it was insanity back then, but this, this was the answer. And she gave me a time to ring and I rang her every day while she was here in Australia. And I still ring. You know, I rang, I rang my sponsor every day for at least five or six years and I ring every other day today. I still ring my sponsor. It was difficult in the early days for me because I was going to, a, to, to meetings with people that didn't work the program the way I work the program today. And it was a little bit difficult, but I knew that this was working for me. And I would, talk, I would share my experience, strength and hope. And my sponsor has taught me today, and I went through, I worked the steps, but what she's teaching me today is how to be a kind and decent human being. I only ever wanted to be a good wife and a good mother. And I could never do those two things. But today I get to be a kind and decent wife, a kind and decent mother, a decent human being where I can be of service to others. My sponsors helped me to grow up and, um, and I, what I, what I, why I really liked that reading was my old ideas. She, when she twelve-stepped me, this is what changed my life. Really, was her sponsor had suggested to her to put all her old ideas. Let's just put all that up on the shelf. All those, all those books and all those things up on the shelf, and let's just look at sobriety and getting sober. And that's I knew straight away that's what I needed to do because of all the self-help programs that I did all the retreats that I did and all these other things that I did, which were great things to do, which probably would work for other people. Nothing worked for me. And so I knew on that day that I needed to put all, everything I thought I knew up on the shelf and start again. And by starting again, and my willingness to do the suggested things, 
my life changed. My life has changed so much that when I've met people that I haven't seen in years and years and years, they say to me, you're so different, Sandra. You're very different. And I'll just finish on this. I, um, I was having a cut after I'd been to New Christchurch to do my, my, um, my fifth step. I came home and I was having a cup of tea with my sister. And she said, there's something different about you, Sandra. She said, you've lost weight. I can see that, but you've lost weight before. There's something different about your eyes. There's some, you're just different. And I can't change my eyes. And so I always remember back that God has changed me from the inside out. God has given me, you know, more than I could have ever planned because my relationship with God has slowly evolved. I've let go of my old ideas about God. And today I have a relationship with God, a power greater than myself. It's very hard to explain, but it's so part of my life that I have. I talk to God all the time, all day, every day. I thank God. I ask God to help when I'm unsure. I sit quietly. I breathe through times, you know, when, when I'm feeling anxious. Because I used to suffer from anxiety. And I've um, been given the solution for that as well. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a very different person. My old ideas, you know, I let them go on a daily basis. Sometimes I have old ideas. So um, I'm very grateful to be here because, yeah, I just I, I just feel I feel part of now that I don't have to just be a watcher. I can be part of the human race now. And, um, I never thought that that would be possible. So I'm very grateful. Thanks.